Do you like breasts? Do you like sausage? Do you like alcohol? If you answered yes to any of these three things, you will love Sausage Fest. The second annual Sausage Fest is being held at Archon in St. Louis on October 1st, 2011. During this celebration of cured meats and alcohol, we'll also be collecting donations for breast cancer awareness. If you donate prior to September 29th, you can receive fantastic perks like a Sausage Fest t-shirt or an ale glass etched with the Sausage Fest logo. For more information or to donate, please visit SausageFestSTL.com. Sausage Fest, putting our meat where the pink is. This is Wayne. This is Tim. Well, hello, guys. It's so roomy in here today. Well, you know, uh, Paul's not sucking up all the air today. So. No, he's really folding it in today. <laughs> and, and, we, and we do have uh, Paul captured digitally, but he is not live with us today. And we'll, we'll run that for you here in just a bit. But I uh, think I like it that way. It is a little bit more refreshing, isn't it? Much like an aborigine, we stole his soul by recording him digitally. That's right. That's right. I know, Wayne, I know you uh, worked your tail off this week and you know had some late hours at the office, and I did as well. Did, did you have any trouble getting your books this week? Uh, not getting to the store, because I was able to get there on Wednesday just fine, but there wasn't much there to get. Oh, really? Yeah. I mean, when I walked in... I looked over at the shelf, and there was only one DC title sitting on it. Everything else was sold out. Wow. Everything. <laughs> the only title that didn't sell out was Justice League – or not Justice League, uh, Legion Lost. I mean, I had a few <laughs> things on my pool, but I didn't have all of the – you know everything I wanted to glance through on my pool. Ultimate Spider-Man, number one, was sold out too. So my collection of books here is from three different shops. Wow. Going from one shop to the next to the next, I finally got Ultimate Spider-Man because one shop has a a bookshelf where they have their picks of the week, uh-huh. and there was a single copy of Ultimate Comics Spider-Man number one sitting over on someone's pick of the week, and all of the regular ones on the shelf were gone. Wow! So nobody had saw that one over there on the pick of the week to snag, and that's the only reason I managed to get that. Yeah, I know. I, I waited until Thursday because Thursday was payday, and uh, originally Green Lantern, there was no Green Lantern there, and I'm like, hey, you guys ran out of Green Lantern, huh? He's like, well, we had some that were damaged, and then he's like, I was going to, you know, gun them back, but, you know, if this doesn't bother you, and there's a little, like, you know, corner, it wasn't a tear, but it was a fold, I'm like, give me the, give me the Green Lantern. I'm like, you don't have any you don't have any Suicide Squad like that, and he's like, nope. So, no Harley Quinn for me. Yeah, it's been insane how quickly this stuff is selling out. I mean, I bought Animal Man a week or two ago on digital because it was sold out. Right. I've never seen comics sell out this fast before. 
Well, it's certainly been a while. I mean, I think the the last time I saw anything sell out quite like that was probably back in the '90s. I mean, I can't think of anything that's just been that uh, that big of a push. I mean, the numbers we're seeing here are '90s type numbers. Justice League number one, there were two hundred thousand first printings, and it sold out. So they sent it to second printing, and it sold out. Uh, they've also got a third printing set for both Batgirl and Action Comics yeah. because they've sold out their first two printings. Yeah. And this isn't even talking about the digital sales. I have no idea what the digital sales are doing. Well, you know, from I, I listened to an interview with uh, Bob Wayne, you know, who's uh, VP of sales over at DC. And apparently the, DC, the digital is doing very well for them. Still supplementary. It's not the, the core of the business. But apparently the digital is moving rather well. What I'm wondering is, uh, you know, how much of this is going to carry over? They've got a lot of readers right now for these number one issues. A lot of people buying more books than they normally would, like, yeah. you know, all of us and Paul. <laughs> but how many people are going to stay on for the second issues of all of these titles? I really think that DC sales are going to be boosted in the long run by this for a while. Well, I think I think that everybody kind of benefits from having more folks in the comic shop. You know, so it's nice to see things selling out, despite the fact that it might be irritating that you can't get the book that you want. But you know, it's got to be very challenging for uh, retailers to figure out how much to stock and how deep. But oh, you know, yeah. we're seeing that on eBay, and and I, part of me just thinks this is just grossly ridiculous. But we're seeing first first printings of Justice League selling for thirty seven forty dollars uh, for a three ninety nine book that came out last week or week before last. It reminds me of the 90s when stuff was just so overinflated in, in the resale market. And the fact that there's anybody out there who thinks that five years from now that's going to be worth anything when 200,000 first printings are out there is <laughs> just a little ridiculous. Yeah, they actually went back to second printing for all of the titles that came out this week. Yeah. So after we do our reviews later on and after uh, Paul has his audio reviews later on, you know, if anyone wants to get these titles, they may get a chance to get them in second printing. I know I want to pick up a couple second printing that I wasn't able to get this week. Yeah, but you know, you you were saying you know how uh, you know things are selling out and there's the the demand is there and whatnot. I think one of the interesting things with new folks in the comic shop and folks buying digitally is we're going to see what the hang time is on some of these books. You know, you think about how in a lot of comic shops. You've got the new release shelf, and then you've got you know the four weeks back shelf, and then you know they rotate out and they go into the long boxes. But with a digital bookshelf, you know they don't have to be hidden. They don't have to be so uh, deep in the background. You don't have to go rummaging for them. And so I'll be real curious to see how the how the back catalog sells digital in, in the digital form. Yeah, I know. I know that at the local level, he, um, I, t I talked to the owner, and he's like, "It's a hard, it's a, it was a hard balancing act with these number ones, guessing how many would, would yeah. sell." You know, and so it's like, yeah, you definitely get more of the action comics and you know, you know, detective comics and Batman. But he's like, I had no idea that I needed you know this much Animal Man. Yeah. <laughs> or, well, know, I, stuff like how that. would you predict that? I mean, you know, because yeah. the previous incarnation of Animal Man, except for 52, was in what, a Vertigo book? 
Yeah, I mean, Animal Man, I think, was one of the big surprises. I was yeah. shocked that I had to buy it digitally because it was sold out everywhere. It was one that I was already curious about, but it wasn't a definite until after I couldn't buy it, and then I really wanted it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. When they tell you no is when you really have to have it, right, Wayne? <laughs> I almost bought three DC titles digitally this week just because they were sold out. You know, there were ones I was going to flip through and try to decide afterwards, but when I couldn't, I almost bought three of them. Well, I, I am really cra- just cracking up about you know what I consider the number of speculators. You know, selling stuff out there on eBay. Hey, you know, you can buy this at a hundred times the markup. <laughs> uh, so if it, I will make you a deal, if uh, you want any of my uh, DC number one books, I'll send it to you at fifty times the markup. So, so Thanks. there you go. I I, I will I, I will help a brother out. I was so slammed at the office this week that I, I sent the wife to go get my books for me, and uh, you know she does this from time to time. And uh, the bad thing this week is that, you know, it was like a 12-book week for me. And so, you know, she comes home, hands me my bag of books, and she says, Huh, you spent $36 at the comic book shop this week. And I'm like, "Uh uh-huh. And she's like, well, that's kind of a lot. Now, what she doesn't know is that, you know, I am usually somewhere between a $40 to a $50 week at the comic book shop. And I was like, "Well, honey, it was twelve books this week. That's that's a lot of books, and <laughs> it, you know." And, and she didn't throw, a, you know, when she was there picking up my book, she didn't throw a trade paperback in there or a T-shirt or an action figure. So, you know, it kept it right there at the thirty-six dollar range. And I just said, "Honey, that was an unusual week." <laughs> <laughs> you know, that's why I could never send my wife to pick up my book. She she tried to do that once, but the thing is, I don't have everything I get on my pool. Yeah, I I do a lot of flipping through. I mean, I when I get there, I hit. Head straight to my uh, my the pool box, pull out my list of books. You know, I carry them around, and then I start looking through the shelves, and I always get about double what I had in my pool. And that doesn't include if there's a trade sale or if there's anything going on. Right, right. Yeah, it's dangerous when you send the the lady up there to uh, you know get your books. It's dangerous. Yeah, it, it's worse when they go with you. <laughs> well, you know, then, usually then what you're happens, kind of picky and choosing. Do I get this book that has big boobs on the cover, or do I not? <laughs> usually, what happens when I take her with me is she waits in the car. I crack a window for her and I go in. <laughs> that's usually you know, what happens. That's what my wife used to do, but then she realized that I stay in way too long if she doesn't come in and stand over my shoulder. See, that's why you got to make sure she has a fresh game loaded onto her smartphone. You know. Just keep her busy, keep her occupied, something shiny. Don't let her come in and harsh your mellow. That's my recommendation. Actually, usually when I bring her in, I end up buying her something. She'll <laughs> she'll go through the shelves, she'll find something that she wants. Because she does read some. She doesn't read a lot, but occasionally she'll get into a title here or there. Usually something that's more anime or you know one of the female characters. Like She was a big fan of Spider-Girl. That was a title we read together. Mm-hmm. Yeah, she was a big fan of uh, Invincible for a while and a couple other books. I had this picture of of you and your wife sitting on the couch turning the pages together on on uh, Supergirl. No, is that not how that went? No, not at all. Yeah, y'all each it's, with your mug of cocoa. I, I it's, no, it's it's a very sweet picture in my mind, Wayne. No, it's more like <laughs> we have one of those uh, big sectionals, and she's over on one end of it, uh-huh. and I'm over on the other far end of it. With a stack I, of comics in between you separating you? My side, well, your side? 
<laughs> well, no, the, the comics will be on the coffee table, and I'll have a dog on either side of me while I'm reading, uh-huh. and she'll be looking over, you know, just glaring at the dogs because neither one of them are sh- curled up next to her. Yeah. <laughs> so they're, they're, she's jealous of the affection the dogs hold for you. Yes. Huh. <laughs> nice. Well, um, in addition to all of the sellouts over at DC, there's some news to report regarding the uh, new 52. And I, I know that, uh, Wayne, you were just telling me about Static Shock. Yep, the uh, the writer, John Rosam. Yes, sir. Who also wrote, uh, was writing the uh, Milestone Zombie book. Yep, he is leaving Static Shock. Does DC it say what? Uh, no, but DC said they had a great relationship with him for 15 years. And that they had uh, they had conversations about new ideas, new concepts going forward, but he's not leaving DC. He's just leaving Static Shock. Well, that is good news because you know, as I stated in our recent review, that book sucked. <laughs> I mean, and and you know, it's hard when you want to like a book and they don't give you anything there to work with. You know, it was very disappointing. Very disappointing. Well, uh, another bit of DC news, um, they have announced the launch of a new New 52 title, which is The Ray, um, and that's going to be coming out later this year. Um, Jimmy Palmiotti is going to be uh, on that book on the uh, writing chores, and Justin Gray is going to be handling the, uh, the artwork. Um, and both of them have been responsible for uh, the recent Jonah Hex books. So it uh, should be interesting. The teaser art looks kind of nice. You know, I was excited when you first said there was going to be a Ray book because I love the Ray series that they did. I don't even know how long ago it was now. Yeah. You know, and I've always kind of liked the character, but this isn't the same character. This no. is a new Ray. Lucian Gates is the character's name. And I don't like that costume they have in the in the picture. Well, it is certainly a very different-looking Ray. No, yeah. So I was excited at first, and it's one of those where I would flip through it, but I'm sure it'll be sold out on the shelf, so I won't <laughs> be able to. Well, you know, the, the, the Ray that uh, I think that you really liked, Wayne, was the 1990s Ray. Yeah, it was a second-generation one. Who almost kind of had like a rocketeer almost kind of helmet and you know, kind of a, a, yep. a uh, white and yellow color uh, scheme to his costume, whereas this guy is – there's a little bit of yellow, but it's mostly you know blue and and uh, white. So the ray I liked was the one that Superman went to when he had energy powers. That's right. That's you know, I've even read a couple of recent back issues with him because I've been uh, returned to the back issue bins lately. I don't know why, but just something's had me. You know, I've had a desire to read older '90s comics lately. Yeah. So I picked up a bunch of them on sale because there were sales all over the place. Oh yeah. And one of them was uh, Kyle Green Lantern Annual mm-hmm. with the Ray in it. Great story. Love their interactions. You know, I always enjoyed the Ray. I, you know, I, I got a kick out of his. Uh, he had an ongoing series there for a while, and I always enjoyed that. I thought the Ray was a fun book. Yeah, I've got most of that run, but I don't have quite all of it. Well, another fun book that doesn't happen to be a DC book is Amazing Spider-Man number 669. And I got to tell you, the Isle of Manhattan has gone crazy. It's like a spider island. Yep. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, Yeah. what do you you think of that, Tim? Um, 
I enjoyed it, but uh, there was a couple Umberto Ramos scenes that kind of kind of got got a little annoying. The art is really bothering me now. I mean, I'm still reading the book. I'm still reading the crossover. Yeah, I still like the story, but the art is really getting to me. I, I will agree that some of the art bothered me in this book. Like the the scene, you know, three pages in where uh, it's the title page where, where Carly and Peter are facing off against the bad guys in the storage shed. And, you know, Peter's got these arms that don't match up. I mean, they're, they're almost as, as wide as his torso, <laughs> you know, that that scene. You don't bend there. Yeah. That, that's, uh. Yeah. Now, I got to tell you, the viewer perspective over the ass of the bunny woman that was okay. I'm not that, that should have been hot, but it wasn't because the art is so bad. <laughs> um, I do think that Carly needs a belt. I don't know how she's holding those pants up. Um, they just seem like they're about to come right off, which is good. <laughs> it would be better with better art though. One thing I will say though, in the, the fight scenes of this book, uh, I think that that a character that I would love to see Umberto Ramos draw more of is the Red Hulk. The scenes, the the few panels that he had with the Red Hulk in it, looked really cool. You know, I can agree with that. His his art style seems to fit better with bigger, stronger characters than it does small, agile characters. Yeah. So uh, on the Spider Island this week, we learned that there's a Phase Two. Of the spider virus that the jackal has released into the world. Um, what does that virus do at stage two, Wayne? It mutates. <laughs> People and, start turning into man spiders. So instead of being these, you know, wild, wicked, cool Spider-Man uh type people you know just you know being able to stick on the walls and shoot your webs and whatnot and but still look pretty cool. Now, you know, you start getting the big, you know, multiple spider eyes, sometimes multiple appendages. Yeah, Carly got real ugly. Yeah, yeah. And now you, now you, get, now you definitely have to, uh, you know, put a bag over her head. Cause, uh, I, I wonder what happens to the spider tattoo that she has. <laughs> Maybe we'll find out. <laughs> yeah. You know, I, it's like, who saw that coming? I didn't know it was all going to go bad. I thought just everybody was going to be Spider-Man and it was going to be cool. You know, I've been annoyed by the way the heroes have all been, you know, trying to find cures to this. You know, it's like we could have superpowers, but no one else can. Oh, let's give people superpowers so they don't get superpowers. Yeah. That that's really bothered me through this whole story of just how much everyone's throwing a fit to stop this when all the people getting powers are excited about it. Mm hmm. And the idea of, you know, well, we will give people a latent superpower, just the ability to sense the direction north as a way <laughs> which, to get around this. Which kind of cracks me up. We're, we live in Manhattan. The streets are numbered. We know which way is north. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So who who the hell is this person at the last page? The, uh, the unmasked lady uh, who mm -hmm. seems to be the boss of the jackal? Yeah. Couldn't tell you. Hmm. Oh, she's from uh, – I actually saw Paul's comments on Twitter that he didn't know who that was either. Mm -hmm. uh, you guys never read Spider-Man Disassembled, did you? No, I sure didn't. Nope. So right around the time that the, the Avengers disassembled, 
they did a storyline with this character. She has the ability to control insects or anyone with an insect gene. Mm. So during that time frame, she started infecting people with insect genes so she could control them. Essentially what we're seeing here, only this is on a much larger scale and people actually have powers. So she was an basically they retconned her in as an old Captain America villain, but she was a big villain for Spider-Man. Hmm. And she wanted to make Spider-Man, you know, her, I guess she would be the queen, but she wanted to make Spider-Man her king with her. And he eventually fought through the control and, and took her down. So in a, basically in a city full of people that are turning into spiders, she'll be able to control everyone. Huh. And uh-huh. that's her power. It was they made a big deal out of it when they did the whole Spider-Man disassembled, which was right around the Avengers disassembled time frame back before New Avengers and all that. I actually was shocked that when Paul didn't know who the character was, I guess I was the only one reading Spider-Man back then. Yeah, I, 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 I certainly have, am not familiar with her character. But uh, I did like the six armed uh, shocker in this book. You know? Yeah, who just happened to have four extra, you know, shocker <laughs> devices to plug onto those arms. Well, he's you know, got spares. You got to keep spares. Yeah, yeah. He used to be a Boy Scout. You got to be prepared, Wayne. <laughs> you never know when you're going to sprout more arms. <laughs> but well, shockers on the Thunderbolts, the 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 B team. Yeah. What is he doing here? Now. I, I know that we all had some concerns about the art. Now, I, you know, I normally enjoy the Umberto Ramos art. I think he's he's rather rushed in that showing in some of this. He's becoming more stylized. Um, but other than that, how, how are you feeling about the story in this book? I love the story. I do love all the exposed midriff from the art, but I just wish it was wrong. <laughs> <laughs> but no, I, I'm really enjoying the story. I mean, there's still some gives left to go. I'm, you know, I was annoyed by all of the the effort to cure this before people started the secondary mutations, you know, annoyed by how they were curing it, giving people, you know, latent direction sense. But overall, I'm enjoying the story. I really like that Mary Jane seems to be the only one that hasn't got powers yet. You know, I, 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 I guess I'm, it's in, it, I didn't come in with high expectations cause I kind of didn't like the premise. Right. I thought the premise sounded kind of dumb. And there's been some cool moments, so I'm, you know, it's okay. It's not great, but, um, you know, it's better than I thought it would be. Well, I'm I'm digging it. I I, I really am enjoying the story. And I wasn't sold on the idea of Spider Island either, but I I think they're handling it really well. And again, I I think this should have been the big event for the year. uh, Yeah, I I thought the concept of it was incredibly stupid. Yeah. Um, But I've enjoyed the book. It's my favorite scene was that one panel where everyone's swinging above Mary Jane and she just looks up as the only one standing on the ground and says, you've got to be kidding me. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Well, I did read a uh, Spider Island tie-in Spider-Girl issue number two, and I I will just leave it to say fantastic book. Thoroughly enjoyed it. It really does support the story. Um, and the artwork was beautiful. The writing was great, and I really am enjoying Kingpin Spider, uh, or Spider Kingpin, or whatever you want to call him. But Kingpin with Spider-Man's powers is a lot of fun. Yeah, I gave them first issue, and the first issue was fun, but it didn't win me over enough to buy a second issue. 
Well, I'm digging it. I'm digging it. And, you know, also out there this week from Marvel, Crap Itself, Book Number Sucks, and the big Fear Itself tie-in. And I expected to hate this book just like I've hated all of the other Fear Itself books. And, oh, my God, this book rocked. Uh, I wish it took them up to issue six to finally turn out a good book in this series. I it is sad that we've wasted five issues to get here because this book fired on all cylinders. First off, as you would expect, um, the Stuart Amonin artwork is amazing. And, uh, but the story, Matt Fraction, I don't know, you know, if he just finally woke up and decided to write something good in this series, really turned it out. There are some beautiful character moments in this book, and we just really haven't seen that. You know, there's this whole scene from the end of Fear Itself number five where Thor gets smacked down and is like, you know, on the edge of death. And the heroes have got to pull him out. You know, they've got to pull him off the battlefield and retreat back to Asgard so that Odin can heal him. And, you know, the, the big concern that all the Avengers are having as they're hauling, you know, Thor out is, you know, people are seeing us retreat. And, you know, if. Uh, you know, Odin's brother, Scaldi, or whoever this guy is, you know, the bad guy, feeds on fear. They're just, he's just, they're just going to be feeding their enemy more power because people's fear will increase as they retreat. And then there's some great scenes between Peter Parker and Aunt May, and scenes between Thor and Odin, and even Tony Stark and Odin. This book was fantastic. Again, too bad they, they blew five issues getting here. So was this the last issue of it, or is there, there still more? There is one more. There is one more. And, you know, I, I finished reading this last night, and I have to say I finished reading it before I was too drunk. So, you know, it wasn't just the scotch talking. <laughs> it was it was really thoroughly enjoyable. But this was after the bed bug radioactive incident, right? This, so you're, this you're already true. on stage two. That's right. That's, right. that's right. Now, there you go. Now, in the Fear Itself uh, realm of stories, we have Journey into Mystery, issue number 627. And I believe on uh, Paul's comments, he called this his book of the week. Yeah, and I'm going to echo that. You would have thought with all these new 52 number ones, it would have been a DC book. But nope. Having Mephisto on the cover having a drink, that's that's quality right there. (laughs) Holy Christ. You know, I normally don't enjoy Mephisto stories. And I got to tell you, Kieran Gillen voiced this character so well in this book. I, it was interesting from beginning to end. Yeah, I, and he in he's he's used Mephisto before in Thor, and I thought the voice well, the voice sounded right for that character. Yeah, he he's been he has consistently uh, written this character well. I think you know because we 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 read you know at, in the the uh, post siege stories with Mephisto. Uh, those excellent stories there. And I mean, just, I, I love this book. And, you know, the whole premise of this issue is the devil walks into a bar. Oh, so good. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I really dug it. I, what I also found interesting is another character in the, in the Marvel gallery of villains that I can't stand is nightmare. And I love the nightmare <laughs> pages on this book. That's because the Nightmare pages are Mephisto making fun of how lame Nightmare is. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Exactly. That was good writing, though. He's like, you know that guy, the serpent, the guy who's feeding off fear? 
Yeah. Yeah, maybe you should like take notes, jackass. That's basically <laughs> what he says. Exactly. Well, you know, the the book really gets off on the right foot on page one with Mephisto standing there saying, it's time for the devil to come clean. This is not Loki's book. The truth is, it's mine. It's about time I took center stage. And I mean, it just really sets the tone for the entire book. Yeah. No, this, this was a fantastic book. I, I thoroughly enjoyed Mephisto. Yeah. And... <laughs> That bartender is is dumb. Yeah. <laughs> I won't ruin it for you. Yeah, yeah, that didn't seem like the best move, did it? <laughs> no. The scenes in hell, I was fascinated by. First, the uh, uh, Satan's throne, I thought was visually interesting. You know, the you know, it's all looks looks to be built by uh, by in driftwood. <laughs> Um, and how none, you know, one of the one of the things that Mephisto talks about in the book is that he, you know, Mephisto is a devil, uh, but he is not Satan. And they refer to, you know, the the true Satan. And all these devils in hell will show up and they'll stand in, you know, Satan's throne room, but nobody will sit down because while they may claim to the outside world that they're the true Satan, all of them know that they're not. And they all kind of stand around and look at the throne and talk about it and whatnot. And I just – I thought that to be a really interesting uh, take on the Marvel Universe's concept of hell. Uh, <laughs> there's a lot of laughs in this book too. Yeah. Um, the Dormammu line. It's like, it's like Dormammu's spirit flickered around his throne and with silent bark, contemptuous snorts. When he can't come out and play with the other boys, he turns a trifle sulky. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And the whole book is like that. It's just oh, yeah. fantastic. No, book, I, book of the week. And seriously, if we did single issue books of the year still for the funnies, this would be up there on my list. Well, and you know, the great thing about this book, even that you don't have to read Fear Itself no. to enjoy this book. You know, all you need to know is that there's some big shit going down. And, you know, Mephisto explains it all to you. And I mean, you know, with the with the, you know, devil as your narrator, <laughs> uh, you know, you know that you're getting all the right information. So uh, it's fantastic. You know, and there's only and there's only a slight nod to Loki in this book, too. Yeah, very slight. So if you never read anything but this one book, there's only a little bit you'd be missing. Yeah, I thought this book was fantastic. I, I, and, you know, sad to say, I agree with Paul. Book of the week. So you, know, you can just go ahead and turn off the podcast now. Yeah, so all these new 52 ones, they can all suck it. <laughs> Basically what Aaron, Aaron, Paul, and Tim just said. So uh, we're since Paul is reading all 13 of the new 52 books, um, you know, the entire – this week and then, you know, the entire run uh, for this month, uh, we're going to go ahead and play his comments, and uh, we'll be right back. So I couldn't make this week's recording, so I thought what I would do is actually record kind of a lightning round review of the 13 DC books that came out this week as part of the New 52, since I'm the only one on the podcast who's actually reading them. Now, I was actually at dinner the other night with a a buddy of mine. Uh, that I have a, attend a class with, and he uh, he said he, he gave our podcast a listen, and uh, he seemed to take issue with the amount of profanity we use on the podcast, so I thought what I'd try to do is I'd see if I could make it through this entire lightning round without using any cuss words. We'll see how long I get. Right now, we're at about a minute in, 
So we'll see if I can make it the whole way without cussing. Uh, like I said, 13 brand new 52 books came out this week. I'm curious to hear what the guys on the podcast are saying about them. But what I'm going to do is I'm going to start off with the uh, the worst of the bunch and work my way towards my favorite of the bunch. Um, there were some genuine surprises this week. Uh, but there were some books that you know I kind of expected to suck. And uh, yeah, they sucked. Starting off with Legion Lost number one. Um, you know, it had a pretty dynamite creative team. Uh, Fabian or Fabian Nicheza, Pete Woods, uh, pretty great team. Um, but it's it's Legion of Superheroes, and I, I read this book and I felt entirely lost. I read the book twice and I still felt lost. Um, I understand I'm not a Legion of Superheroes fan. Maybe someone who is would enjoy the book more. However, I just could not get into the story. It's a title that, if I hadn't been suckered into buying all 52 titles, I wouldn't have bought it at all. It's just uh, not my thing, and uh, uh, if you're a Legion fan, you may dig it. If you're not a Legion fan, this is not a total reboot. They even make reference to Flashpoint in the book, so you know, if you're not if you're on the fence about Legion, probably not going to change your mind about it. Um, Just a little bit better than that was Grifter. Uh, I was really kind of excited about Grifter. I was uh, you know, a fan of the character from his Wildstorm days. I haven't really followed anything from Wildstorm since you know, it was actually being published by Image. I know it got taken over by DC a while back. And now that the characters are in the DC universe, I enjoy some of the integration, which I'm going to mention a little bit later. Grifter as a book um, actually started this trend that I'll, that I'll mention throughout... Uh, all the books this week, not all the books, but some of the books this week, is that it felt like a TV show. A a lot of these felt like TV show pilots, um, Grifter definitely being one of them. And it's not a horrible book. Uh, This basically is a, you know, it's starting an origin tale of of the title character. And, you know, he he starts hearing these voices, which I guess means he's going to start seeing these invisible aliens or whatever. Um, I'm not you know, despite the fact that I was a fan of the character back in the Wildstorm days, Wildcats days, I'm not 100% familiar with his origin. I don't know if this is an, a total reboot or something entirely different from his original origin. As it is, the book kind of left me cold. I felt there wasn't enough story in the first page to really get a good grasp on whether I'm going to like the story or not. And the character himself just doesn't seem very interesting. You know, there, There's not a lot of... Uh, not a lot of... Got to be honest, the book's just not interesting. There's not a lot there to really hold on to. Same thing goes for Red Lanterns number one uh, by Peter Milligan uh, with art by Ed Bennis. This was kind of an odd title to begin with. I'm kind of surprised they went through with it. But this basically is a book starring the blood-vomiting Red Lanterns, uh, especially Atrocitus. And I don't think those characters are really viable enough to hold their own as the leads on a title and uh you know the book kind of proves it it's it's really not a very good book uh despite the fact that it's all supposed to be ragey red lantern the book just doesn't feel very angry it doesn't feel very emotional it just kind of feels like it's going through the motions um it, it, it feels like a green lantern filler like something that you'd see in like a tales of the green lantern core so you know, uh, anything I've mentioned this so far, I'm not picking up the second issue. Uh, another book I'm not picking up the second issue for, Batwoman, which was a, a big disappointment for me. You know, I know everywhere on the web will tell you this is the best book ever, best thing ever, 
you know, greatest thing since sliced bread. Um, you know, the J.H. Williams the Third art is beautiful. That goes without saying. However, the story in the book I felt was just not not you know. It, it, I felt the book was drawn before it was written. Uh, you know, the, the story doesn't seem very coherent to me. There's a there's even some logic reference there's even a scene where uh you know these characters are wearing different clothes in one scene than they were wearing in another so i i just i feel like there are some definite writing issues here uh you know jh williams the third took over the writing chores on the series from original uh detective comics writer greg rucka and i don't know it just the story didn't work for me i'm sure aaron will love the book uh but i'm not on for issue two so sorry aaron Mr. Terrific Number One, uh, written by Eric Wallace, art by Gianluca Gugliotta. Uh, better than I thought. Better than I thought it was going to be. Um, I was actually had zero interest in this book. You know, just slightly above what the interest I had in Legion Lost. But again, it's another book that felt like the pilot of a TV series. Uh, you see, uh, you know, a, a brand new Mr. Terrific. He's younger. The um, the problem with this book really was in the dialogue. There was a lot of cheesy dialogue in the book. A lot of uh, lines that just felt out of place and just a little hokey. Um, the concept is interesting. I, I wish they wouldn't keep referring to Mr. Terrific as the third most uh, third smartest man on the planet. They actually did that three times in the book, and uh, I'm not entirely sure what the point of it is. We get it. Um, but on the bright side of things, he is sleeping with Power Girl. They are friends with benefits, so you know, if you're into that, go for it. Resurrection Man number one by Dan Abnett, Andy Lanning, uh, as the writing team with art by Fernando Dagnino. Uh, another, <laughs> gotta admit, another book that felt like a TV show. However, it was actually pretty interesting. This is a character who, you know, constantly is dying and being reborn, and what appears to be happening is that heaven and hell t- seem to be fighting for control of his soul. Um, actually, like I said, not a bad start. It felt very much like a, like, something that a fan of a TV show like Supernatural would be into. So if you're into that kind of storytelling, pick up Resurrection Man number one. I'm actually going to go ahead and pick up issue two of that one. Um, Book that surprised me, Frankenstein, Agent of Shade, number one. Uh, Written by Jeff Lemire, art by Alberto Ponticelli. I... You know, I, I, Jeff Lemire wrote a Frankenstein tie-in to Flashpoint that really kind of sucked. Now, this book was just a lot of fun. Um, you know, it's Frankenstein and these uh, these creature commandos basically going in and fighting giant monsters inside of a city um, and saving the residents of the city. It's kind of like a... It's almost like a Hellboy BPRD type um, concept, but... Bigger action, a little more fun than that, a little less serious. And I actually really enjoyed it. Uh, I think I'm actually going to pick up issue two. Um, the art isn't my favorite, but uh, you know I did enjoy the story. So Jeff Lemire is actually two for two now with Animal Man and Frankenstein, Agent of Shade. Deathstroke number one by Kyle Higgins and Joe Bennett uh, and Art Fibert. Another book surprised me. Uh, Deathstroke is, you know, he's he's been an interesting villain all this time, but, uh, you know, I didn't know if he'd really be able to lead a series. I, you know, there was a series that he led, I think, back in the the mid-90s, and I just, you know, as a character, he he just didn't seem interesting enough to hold his own. However, this book was, was pretty darn good. Um, you know, it features Deathstroke uh, basically assaulting a plane in midair uh, on his own, 
and uh, features a surprise ending that you know you, you, I actually didn't see coming, and I enjoyed the twist that they that they did. Now I am going to pick up issue two of Deathstroke. However, I don't know if the series will be this good ongoing. I hope it is, uh, but you know we'll see. I, I I'm curious, but I'm cautiously curious. Superboy, number one. Scott Lobdell, art by R.B. Silva and Rob Lean. This was a... This is a total reboot. A total reboot of Superboy. Um, So if you loved Connor Kent, which I did, this is a bit jarring. And, uh, you know, there are definitely some aspects I didn't like. The book reminds me a lot of the Project Superman Flashpoint tie-in. But I enjoyed it. Um, Overall, there's a a red-headed character who has already been revealed... Uh, through uh, rumors and websites and news sites to be Caitlin Fairchild of Gen 13. So I like that addition to the uh, Superboy mythos. However, the book itself, um, you know, again, it it is good. I did enjoy it. I'm definitely picking up issue two. I'm, I'm going to miss Connor Kent. So I, and, and the the way this character is portrayed is very different. This is not the, you know, the the warm, tingly Connor Kent we've gotten to know and love. So, I hope we get to that character, but that's not who we're looking at right now. Um, and speaking of not warm and fuzzy, Batman and Robin number one, Pete Tomasi, Patrick Gleason. You know, this is the only place. You know, this is the only place right now to get your Damian Wayne fix. If you're a Damian Wayne fan, he is in fine form in this book. He is definitely the uh, the dickish character we have known come to know and love. Um, there are some pretty you know good emotional moments in this book with Batman and uh, Damian Wayne acting as father and son, not just as you know Batman and Robin. So I, I recommend it for that. The action portion of the book, I'm I'm still kind of not sold on, but you know Pete Tomasi and Patrick Gleason did a pretty dynamite job the last time they were on the book. They had a slow start and they picked up so. You know, I, I would have. This was the book I was most looking forward to for the week, and it's not my favorite book of the week. But you know, it was good enough to get issue two, and uh, you know, I hope the story picks up. Pete Tomasi and Patrick Leeson are a pretty dynamite team, so I've got faith in them. Getting into the top three here: Demon Knights number one, written by Paul Cornell, with art by Diogenes Nevis. I'm probably pronouncing all these names wrong. Uh, featuring Etrigan the Demon um, and some other supernatural characters. I've never been a big fan of the mystical portion of the DC Universe. However, this book reads a lot and actually looks, art-wise, a lot like uh, Dungeons & Dragons from uh, IDW Comics. Uh, and I'm a huge fan of that book. And this book actually, you know, like I said, it reads a lot like it. It's got a lot of the same type of humor. Um Similar art style, similar feel. So I actually really enjoyed this book. It's definitely not the same as these other DC 52 books. Uh, You know, DC did say they were going for this variety of storytelling. And so this is not a superhero book. This is, you know, this is a, you know, dungeons and dragons and, you know, sorcery and medieval times type book. So I enjoyed the heck out of it. Uh, more than I really expected to, especially since I'm so hot and cold on Paul, Paul Carnell. Green Lantern number one, Jeff Johns, Doug Banke. Uh, this is a book, you know, that we were all cautious about because of, you know, the unevenness that Green Lantern was going through after, during Brightest Day. This book, really, I enjoyed the hell out of this book. I enjoyed seeing that Hal Jordan, without the Green Lantern ring, is, you know, 
he, he he's having a hard time. And so, you know, it was interesting to see that aspect of his character because Jeff John spent so long showing us that this Hal, that Hal Jordan was this badass hero, even without the ring. Um, this is a complete 180 from that. Now it's not the, you know, it's, it's not, he, he doesn't become the most likable character. Um, they actually, I think make him a little bit more like the Ryan Reynolds portrayal from the movie, but I did enjoy the book. Uh, you know, Doug Mankey, you know, you can't go wrong with Doug Mankey art. I enjoyed seeing Sinestro in the book. Uh, I'm, it seems like Sinestro is going to do battle with the Sinestro Corps, and uh, that's an interesting story for me. So I really enjoyed Green Lantern number one, and I'm definitely on for number two. Um, and one of the biggest surprise for me this week was Suicide Squad, featuring uh, Harley Quinn's boobs, uh, written by Adam Glass, uh, art by Federico Delocchio and Ransom Getty. Um, features Harley Quinn, King Shark, uh, Deadshot, some other characters, and um, I really enjoy this very dark very violent book um kind of i gotta be honest uh, another reference to uh, a book that reads a lot like a the pilot for a tv show this really feels like the pilot of a tv show nothing too spectacular happens um so it could be actually filmed on a tv show budget and so i really enjoyed it um you know this features these uh these vil- villainous characters who are pulled in by amanda waller and they are uh you know, brought in to basically, you know, perform these functions and, you know, they're, they're expendable. And actually one of the characters does die in the first issue. Uh, Of course it's a character I don't know anything about. So he, I don't even know if he was invented for this book or not, but suicide squad, hell of a book. I actually really enjoyed it. And so I actually recommend picking that one up. Definitely. You know, DC is really surprising me with some of these third tier characters like animal man and the characters in suicide squad, demon knights, Deathstroke, Frankenstein, Resurrection Man—they've—they've they've been, uh, you know, they've been doing some really good stuff with those. Um, you know, Batman's off to a little bit of a slow start with uh, Batman and Robin, but you know, I'm definitely excited to see next week's books, including Batman number one. That's really the one I've been looking forward to the most in the DC relaunch. So I'm very curious to see what the guys think about the rest of the books. And uh, if you're curious book of the week was actually not a DC book at all. My book of the week was Journey into Mystery, number 627, focusing on Mephisto. Uh, Mephisto walks into a bar, has a conversation with the bartender, written by Kieran Gillen, art by Doug Elson, or Richard Elson. Awesome book. Definitely pick that one up. Uh, You don't need to be reading Journey into Mystery to enjoy it. Just a ton of humor. And, uh, you know, one of the best lines of the week uh, when the devil uh, likes his pretzels. So uh, let's talk about the books that we read in the New 52. Uh, Batman and Robin number one. That was you and me, Tim. Yep, because it was sold out and I couldn't get it. Oh. Well, let me just give you an idea here, Wayne. Um, It's a beautiful cover. Um, by Patrick Gleason, you've got, you know, Batman running up in the foreground and behind him, you've got Robin and, you know, it clearly the, the moon has just rised and, and, and there are bats across the, the sky, just a lovely, lovely cover. <laughs> but what's inside the book? That's what, you're what what's, what's inside, and what's inside the book? is Damian Wayne. That's the, right. You know, um, I, I really like the Dick Grayson, Damian Wayne interactions, um, but this book proved to me that I could I could get a lot of great story elements between Bruce and Damien. 
wow, did I I love those first like five or six pages. Like the rest of it was, you know, typical Batman. But those first five or six pages when when, you know, Bruce and Bruce is talking to Damien about um trying to change uh, you know, what he what he's normally done. Mm-hmm. Pretty awesome. So, um the book opens up with one of the incorporated Batman Batman, I assume, and it's the Russian Batman who, you know, visually is rather quite interesting. He's got, you know, a what looks like a uh, almost a stormtrooper kind of bat mask, and then you know, bare chested with you know, big bat emblem across his chest, you know, big, big chunky Russian kind of guy getting his ass handed to him, and uh, uh, it looks like things are going to end poorly for this guy. <laughs> so you know, some somebody's taken out Batman, uh, you know, over in Russia. While meanwhile at Wayne Manor, and yes, you know, Bruce is back at Wayne Manor. Um, you get to see, you know, Damien and uh, and and Bruce, you know, in their non-costume selves, and the return of the Bat Poles. <laughs> What'd you think of the Bat Poles, Tim? They look slippery. <laughs> It looks like we're about to take a turn um, on Batman's sort of perspective on the universe. You know, we have been used to in you know our our you know previous thirty years of Batman, the the dark, grim, and moody Batman focused solely on you know the deaths of his parents. He memorializes them on the anniversary of their death each year. You know, that's just kind of been the focus of the Batman we've known. And this Batman has decided to put that behind him. He's no longer going to focus on the anniversary of their deaths. He is instead going to celebrate the anniversary of their wedding. And, you know, suggesting perhaps that this will be a warmer, kinder, gentler Batman. So the tone was completely different than Detective last week. Um, It's still a pretty dark book. Mm-hmm. But you can tell that that the character at least is trying to make a change. Yeah, but, they're let, they're letting Damien be the hard ass. Yeah, yeah. And you know maybe that's the reason. You know maybe he's decided that because he does have a son, maybe he's trying to put you know that behind him. You know, uh, maybe that's the motivation here that he's st- not going to be quite so self absorbed in his own tragedy, but maybe try and you know make something brighter for his son. Um, I do like that, you know, Batman is reaching out to him and that, you know, he is, you know, not just mentoring uh, Damian Wayne, but also fathering Damian Wayne. You know, there, there's some actual parenting going on here. I'm kind of fascinated by that. It's going to be fun. It's going to be interesting to see that over the backdrop of Gotham and what the, what normally happens in Gotham. Yeah. Um. But yeah, no. I this is, I like I said, I I would I I much would rather have Dick Grayson Batman. But I think that um, this proves that I can I can enjoy, uh, you know, Bruce as Batman with Damien. So uh, you in for number two? Oh yes. As am I. As am I. Yeah. You know, now I hadn't been picking up Batman and Robin uh, in the earlier run, uh, largely because you know uh, Grant Morrison issues. 
But uh, I liked what uh, Mr. Tomasi did in this book, and I certainly loved the pencils by Mr. Gleason. So. I was surprised that Paul didn't like this more, though. I mean, he's been such a big fan of Batman and Robin up to this point. I expected it to be one of his top DC books of the week, and yeah. it well, wasn't. Paul, Paul hates good things. Paul can Paul can suck it. Exactly. I hate this Paul. is this is great. Stupid Paul. Well, you know, another book that he hated was Batwoman number one. And I know that neither one of y'all read it, but I, I, I hate to say it because I loved the Greg Rucka run on the Batwoman title. I thought this was stronger than that. Um J. H. Williams the third and W. Hayden Blackman turned out a fantastic book that is not just visually stunning, but also quite compelling. Um I don't know what book Paul was reading. But uh, I thought this this book was really interesting, despite the preponderance of lesbians in uh, uh, Gotham City's police department, because it seems like every woman in authority in the Gotham City Police Department is a lesbian. I'm not sure why that is, but I, I think I think Jim Gordon pushes them that direction. I think we've got to go and look <laughs> and see why Jim Gordon is making them all gay. But be- racist. <laughs> Maybe it's just a requirement to be in that book. Maybe. Maybe, but uh, I, I I dug it. I you know I was curious about how, how much of the prior Batwoman continuity was going to come forward, and all of it did. Everything that happened in the prior Batwoman story uh, by Greg Rucka all came forward in this book. Um, this is a worthy sequel to that series. So if you enjoyed Batwoman before, you're going to love this book. And you know if you haven't tried it. You know, you got to pick it up just for the art, but the story, I, I think it's fantastic. It really laid the groundwork for its own thing, and I like that, you know, here we are in the first issue, and Batman shows up. And, you know, he has a proposition for the Batwoman, and uh, we'll find out more about that in issue two. Loved it. Highly recommended. Mm-hmm. So, the book that we have all been anxiously awaiting is Green Lantern number one, in which Sinestro is our sector's Green Lantern, with Hal Jordan pushed to the sidelines. Or not. <laughs> you haven't been I, looking forward to it, Tim? No, Hal Jordan's not pushed to the sidelines. Hal Jordan's in more than 50% of this book. Well, pushed to the sidelines in the terms of he doesn't have a ring. Right. Yeah, sorry, I, I'll, I'll, I stand corrected. I just meant that he is not the Green Lantern. He's not the title character of his own book right now. You know, I I generally don't like Hal. I find him to be a boring character with no personality, mm-hmm. and he's basically my least favorite of the Green Lanterns. But I actually enjoyed him in this book without the ring. I enjoyed him in the book without the ring, too, but I found him to be not very smart in this book. Oh, no, he was an idiot, and that's what I liked about it. I like that everything was going poorly for him right now. Well, and I love that, you know, he can't pay his rent. He needs somebody to co-sign the note on his lease car. Um, Doesn't have a job. You saw the stack of bills on his kitchen counter. But he will ask a woman out on a date to a five-star restaurant. (laughs) You know what and, I took out of all. And then ask her to sign his car lease. <laughs> what I took out of all of this to, uh, you know, just to remember in case I ever needed a Knights of Rainsboro is, if your landlord's there demanding your rent, you can get out of that conversation by jumping out the window. Yeah, 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 and you know, leaping across the alley to the uh, to the neighbor through the neighbor's window. I thought that was a kind of badass scene, by the way. You know, you you've got uh, you know Hal Jordan's 
landlord reaming him out about you know his his back rent and that he needs you know three months of rent right now today. Hal Jordan looks across the uh, looks out the window and sees this woman being strangled by this great big beefy guy, and he just doesn't even think a thing about it. You know, no power ring. He just goes leaping out his window across the alley, and you assume there are a couple of flights up in the air, um, and he goes crashing through that window. You know, to break up that fight, and oh, it was a uh, a movie set. <laughs> I really wanted him to not make it all the way across. Yeah, to I was slam I, into the side of the building and be hanging on. Yeah, and, that's you right. know, actually get hurt on the way down because really that jump, you, a person couldn't really make that jump. A person couldn't, but Hal Jordan can. All the all the scenes with Sinestro. Uh huh. A everything with Hal Jordan could care. Less. <laughs> I and you know I, I I if you're a fan of Hal Jordan I'm I'm guessing this was that was all really fun and interesting, but I'm not so it wasn't, and I was really hoping at least for the first like three issue arc they might you know lie to me a little and say this is going to be about Sinestro. Yeah, you know Go. that's my that's my big complaint too is I wish we would have seen more Sinestro. I wish they would have continued this arc a little bit more than they they seem to be. Uh, I was very curious. I guess the the uh, ability to kill hasn't been turned off on the Green Lantern rings. Yeah. Because Sinestro had no problem killing a Yellow Lantern. Yeah. That was that was such a great scene. <laughs> yeah, I, Green Lantern garrotes him. Yeah, oh, that that is pretty cool. <laughs> yeah, I'm loving all of the Sinestro stuff. I wish there was more. You know, and I don't like that they united Sinestro and Hal, at least put him in the same place so quickly. I want to see, you know, I want to see Sinestro go through a couple story arcs before they deal with him and Hal. Well, I will say that there was a, 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 a moment in the book that I was like, oh, Ganthet, you silly, silly man. Because, you know, he wanders in the center of all of these, uh, you know, guardians. And I was like, Oh, don't you realize they're encircling you? This is bad news. Get out of there. You know, can't they one know. of us. One yeah, exactly. Us. They do some kind of freaky mind thing on him. Mm-hmm. This is like the coyote's worst nightmare, isn't it, Tim? Oh yeah. No. <laughs> <laughs> um, and it looks like the little blue bastard has both his hands. I don't know how that works. Well, they grew it back for him in the, uh, green lantern aftermath. Yeah. It wasn't his choice. It was done by, uh, was it the Blue, the Lantern? Blue Lantern Skywalker? Yeah, he used his power to grow the hand back because Skywalkers have to, you know, have multiple hands. That's right. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Could you use the power to not turn me three foot tall and blue, and I get all beeferoid <laughs> like I used to be. Nope. <laughs> but you keep your hippie hair. That's fantastic. You, you sounded kind of ragey there, Tim. Uh, A little bit. Wow. I, I, before we we and excellent transition there, Wayne, into uh, you know Red Lantern, but so it's your job to kill it. <laughs> Aaron crabbed on it. I, my favorite image in the book was Sinestro zapping and destroying the uh, the yellow ring that came off the lantern that he kills. And you know I, you're looking at that, and he just you know, destroys the damn ring, and you're thinking, um, if they can do that. Why don't they do that all the time? They they you know, kill a guy. Yeah. yeah doesn't every, the ring not work on yellow? That the, the impurity was removed. So now that Parallax doesn't live in the uh, central core, they don't have that 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 weakness to yellow. 
See, I thought for sure when he killed the Yellow Lantern that he was going to take his ring. Yeah. And have one of each color. Yeah. So. I, maybe only Sinestro could do that because he's worn that ring before. Uh, maybe. Maybe. So what do you think this proposition is or this uh, directive that, that Sinestro has for how Jordan's going to be about? I think Sinestro is going to try to take out the Guardians and become the leader of the Green Lantern Corps. That's my guess. Uh, Wayne? You know, I think he doesn't want the Green Lantern ring on him for some reason because he doesn't. Mm-hmm. And he has the hopes of getting the the ring off of him onto, uh, onto Hal so he can retake over his own core. Mm-hmm. I don't think he plans on taking over the Green Lantern Corps, but I do think he wants to take a strike at the Guardians and thinks he can use Hal to, to help him do it somehow. Yeah, I, uh, I'm not real sure what Sinestro's planning, but uh, I can't expect it ends good for anybody. So, imagine the transition that Wayne had earlier. Apply it here. Red Lantern's number one. Red Lantern's number one is... Um well, it's it's the Atrocitus book, which is kind of what we thought it would be. Mm-hmm. Um, but the uh, the first Red Lantern you see, Angry Kitty. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Ragey Red Kitty. Ragey Red Scalping Kitty. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah. good. Get it off me. Get it. Ah. <laughs> <laughs> See, I just – I would have to – you know, just in concept would think that Paul would have been right. I mean these don't seem like characters that can hold a regular book. I wouldn't have – I would have never imagined that these characters could hold a, a series because they don't seem – I don't know if I want to say deep enough, but they, they don't seem like the type of characters that you would want to follow from month to month. And I'm not sure that it is to be honest. Um, I can tell you that I dug this book. Um, it wasn't my favorite book of the week, but I'm, you know, we're more than halfway through our list this week. And I got to tell you, there wasn't a stinker among my books this week. Every single book I at least enjoyed, you know, some more than others. But, you know, I, I was I went into this with very low hopes. You know, I picked it up because eh, let's see what they're going to do. Um, I, I thought the art, the artwork was nice. I enjoyed Atrocitus's inner monologue. Um I partic- and, and and his compassion, yeah, which was a little, which little was, bit, which was a little strange, you know. But it was and, good. Yeah, no, I agree. And and they're they're introducing some depth into this character. Now I don't know. One of the things I'm th- uh, that I, w- I was kind of concerned about in this book is that you know, Atrocitus doesn't appear to be a very deep character. You know, at least from what we've seen. You know, he's mad, Arr! but really, how far is that going to carry you along? You know. I guess it's worked for Wolverine. I was but, about uh, to say, I guess it's worked for the Hulk for quite a while. <laughs> but, you know, um, so, you know, we've, we had this, you know, ragey character. He's an outer space alien, so we don't really have a whole lot to, you know, uh, sympathize about. Because, you know, not only is he an outer space alien, he lives in outer space. You know, he's not a migrant to Earth. So there are these insert pages in this book with stuff going on on earth. And so I'm curious about that. I'm wondering if one of these guys is going to become a new rage lantern, mm-hmm. you know? Um, so that will be interesting, but you know, we, we are seeing that 
the Red Lanterns are turning against Atrocitus a little bit, you know, because he's not as ragey as he's been in the past. And he talks about that. Yeah. He talks about how the rage has started to subdue, and he's, he kind of points it to the fact that he was the one that got to kill Krona. Yeah. That whole that whole dialogue about him describing him and Krona just like lovers was – that was – wow. Yeah. I, the, the book is exceptionally well written, I thought. You know, and I like that he is keeping Krona's body, <laughs> you mm-hmm. know, and he makes this comment, you know, he says, what days these are, a dead body that bleeds, a universe that reveals its secrets, but only to the brave. I mean, I just, I'm, I'm, I, I'm digging the, the, the writing on this book a lot, mm-hmm. you know, and, you know, I'm intrigued enough to pick up number two. Oh, I'm I'm definitely in. This yeah. is this is the one book that uh, is angrier than I am, and I make it, it makes me happy. <laughs> well, um, I was not angry at all about Superboy number one. Like Paul, I was because it was sold out everywhere. Okay, well let me describe the cover to you. Um, you got this great picture <laughs> of Superboy, you know, hooked up to his incubation uh, equipment, you know, because they're growing him in a lab, Wayne. They're growing him in a lab. You know, I've seen the cover, and I did not like the look of the cover at yeah, all. Yeah, but you know, but if if you actually got to hold the book in your hands, I think you'd have a better appreciation for it. I've read the preview that's the first, uh, I guess, three or four pages, uh-huh. and it seemed like it was going to be a good book. It is a good book. Um, I, it is not this, you know, so far of the 52, the new 52 books I've read, this is probably the biggest departure, uh, from the, the source character that I've seen, you know, we still have some things in common. He's still a clone apparently of Superman. I'm going to guess of also Lex Luthor because they re- they refer to, uh, his DNA has been spliced together from the alien DNA as well as human DNA. And there's no comment on who the human donor is but i'm going to go ahead and guess lex luthor um the the story takes place with you know superboy still in you know his incubation chamber when his powers manifest people die you know it is not your warm fuzzy hey i'm the real steel deal you know superboy out of you know the Cadmus project. This is a completely different character. Um, his Smallville experiences are pieced together from uh, suggested by genetic memory. So you know they're they're linking into Superman's genetic memory, but though they don't know that that's where this is coming from. And he is creating Smallville experiences that are helping him his mind develop. Uh, it's a it's a really very interesting book. Uh, I, I, the artwork is is very different from what's on the cover because I was a little concerned about the cover artwork when I picked it up, but the interiors are very different. What I'm really curious about is I've heard so so many times over this week that Catalina Fairchild from Gen 13 is in the book. Yes. How is she in the series? You know, right now she's uh, just a scientist who's interested in protecting Superboy. Um, she protected him from uh, from his experiment being terminated early on in the story. Um, she is clearly not working on the side of angels, in my opinion. Um, and she seems conflicted about that. Does she have any powers yet? Not that we've seen. 
not that we've seen. But I got to say, you know, I, I enjoyed every page that she was on. Um, the final page of this book sort of teases the Teen Titans. Um, you've got an image of, of uh, Red Robin, Kid Flash, uh, Wonder Girl, and then a figure that I'm not familiar with that's all sort of dark. It doesn't look like Raven uh, that we've seen. Maybe it's the Raven for the series. But uh, it is uh, a very, very good book. I, uh, I'll i be picking up number two. I was, so, I was pleasantly surprised. So they, they, they resurrected Superboy? Would you say that, Aaron? I wouldn't say they resurrected Superboy. They resurrected the Resurrection Man, though. That's what I would say. You know, listening to Paul's description of it, I I would have to agree. This, I I was looking forward to the book though because I've never read Resurrection Man before. I've seen him in you know just a backup character Mm -hmm. in other stories, and the concepts always interested me. The basic concept of the guy dies, he wakes up with a power, he doesn't know what the power is. Sometimes he doesn't even find out what the power is before he dies again. That to me, that's a fascinating concept. So I really, you know, I really like the idea of the character. So I was when they were going to do a new number one, I figured I'd give it a shot. It wasn't my book of the week by far. It wasn't my favorite of the new 52, but it was a really good book. I'm enjoying this take on the character. You know, he is a guy that dies and comes back with new powers. And apparently heaven and hell aren't too happy about that. And they're in a fight for his soul right now. So like Paul was describing, there's, you know, seems to be angels and demons both trying to lay claim to the soul of the resurrection man. And you get to see a guy go through, you know, a plane, go through yeah, the plane's uh, – God, I can't talk today. <laughs> go through the engine of a plane, get ripped to shreds, and take the plane down in the process. Oh, nice. And then he wakes up. Well, that sounds I, like a hard day. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, when you die a couple times in a day, it's going to be a pretty bad day. Yeah, that's kind of rough. You know no. what the last thing through his mind was? The propeller. so you know here we are at the completion of the full second week of the new 52 i'm not really counting justice league number one week because it was just the one book but uh so here we are there have been 27 new books so we're already past the halfway point on the new 52 right paul's Mm -hmm. already broke yeah (laughs) what are your (laughs) thoughts what are your thoughts right now what are you thinking? Are you still jazzed about what, we're, what we've got in the new 52? You know, it's a mixed bag for me. Some of these I've been really excited about and really enjoyed, was even surprised by. Others I've been disappointed by. I'd say overall, I'm still excited and I'm, look, I'm really looking forward to what's going to happen next. The books I am and I'm not getting are kind of going to shift around based on these first issues. But there have been more hits than there have been misses for me. You know, I I would agree. I um and I'm I'm been a little more selective than uh you know some 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 people on this podcast have been Paul. <laughs> <laughs> so maybe it's just my natural selection to stuff that I would be you know predilected to like. But I I'm I, I've only really really been disappointed by one. So you know, having said that, I I think you know I, I look forward to the ones that I've already kind of filtered out filtered into the the poll list. Sure. 
So I, I, I still have excitement. I think it's an exciting time in comic books, you know. I think it we is. Talked, we talked about a lot of books being sold out. Yeah, so. I think it is an exciting time in comics. I mean, like I said, and we've still got more books to talk about, but I didn't read a stinker this week. Um, and you know, I had read a an article or a comment on Twitter, I should say, about how you know DC really rung the bell. What's Marvel going to do to respond to it? And you know, I really think Marvel rang the bell first, and it was DC that responded because you know Marvel's been dominating this market for so long. Um, you know, we've read super high quality books over on, on the on the Marvel side of things that you know we're we're strong sellers and continue to be strong sellers and we see uh, a, a book that we're going to talk about here in a few minutes ultimate spider-man you know with that relaunch you know that book is is a big book um, you know if there's one thing DC can do it's relaunch its books do a uh, basically do a retcons and relaunches when they're not selling well right I mean look at crisis on infinite earths yeah. They had been losing to Marvel so badly that they almost went out of business. Losing mm-hmm. to Marvel so badly that they were going to license their characters over and let Marvel do the printing of them right. because they could market, but they weren't, you know, they weren't actually selling their books. Right. And then they revamped their whole line, relaunched, and we got some of the best stories in comics right then after that relaunch yep. and we got the john Byrne superman that you and i both love so much absolutely so i mean dc has done this before mm-hmm. it worked very well for them before and at least in the short term it's working very well for them again yeah well and i think the tell will be you know how much you know like, as you were asking before how many people are going to hang around for issue two how many people are going to be there for issue six you know that's going to be interesting to see I'm hopeful that a lot of those folks stick. Um, I don't think that Marvel needs a reboot. I know there are people on this podcast who disagree with me, but I love the fact that Marvel embraces the past. I love that we've got Amazing Spider-Man where Dan Slott refers back to some of the first 12 issues of the Stan Lee, Steve Ditko run. I love that. I love you know that – the Avengers continuity is the Avengers continuity from all the way back into the, the, the original 60s book. I like that we haven't retconned Hawkeye out of the circus. You know, there was a, there was a, a comment in this week's issue of New Avengers where they re, you know talked to him about having formerly been a circus guy. You know, and while you know, and the reason I don't think Marvel needs a reboot is that they can revamp themselves without reboots. Exactly. I mean, look at Ultimate Comics. Yeah. Ultimate Comics now look nothing like Ultimate Comics when they launch. They have completely and totally changed everything about the Ultimate Comics universe, all within the story, all without rebooting, yeah. and all without changing a single thing that happened along the way. Well, and what I, what I dig about Marvel is when they had their reboot with Heroes Reborn, it was an in-continuity reboot. You know, the, that... That story happens. You know, it happens in another universe. And when that story concluded, they all came back to this universe. And all of that stuff is still within continuity. You know, I enjoy that rich back history. You know, and I'm enjoying the new 52. So I think there's room for both. I'm just, you know, what the thing that I cherish so much about the Marvel Universe is the deep, rich history that continues through week to week. Well, let, let's let's talk about something that isn't DC or Marvel this week for yeah. once. So I have 
I have gone on and on about Fly over the the months. Our originally we read a preview copy of Fly one through three, that you know wasn't complete yet, still needed some of the coloring, and I fell in love with the book then. So I've been picking it up, you know, actually buying to support Xenoscope and this title, and Raven Gregory, the writer. You know, I've been buying every issue just to support them, even though I've already read it and I've been rereading them. But, you know, I've already read the story one through three. So I have been very much looking forward to getting the next part of the story. And that finally dropped this week. Fly number four is my book of the week. I've, like I said, I have absolutely fallen in love with this title. The I've described it over and over again, so I won't get into the same description each time. But the voices of these characters are so good. He's playing back and forth between the history, the modern day, but not just one point in history of the the character's lifetimes, but multiple points, all building to big confrontations. And I mean, this issue, we got to see the main character's new girlfriend meet the main character's old girlfriend who has superpowers and throws her out a window. I mean, I am still enjoying this book cover to cover. I can't wait for each issue. It was the first book I read this week, and like I said, by far, this is, continues to be my book of the week. You know, As soon as this comes out in trade, I'm going to be harassing everyone else on this podcast to buy the trade if I don't just buy it myself and mail it to them because I'm enjoying the book that much. Something to look but- forward to, right, Tim? And I'd like to take the opportunity right here to send Raven Gregory like a, a virtual hug. Because <laughs> knowing that this is coming from, you know, the deep, dark places that he went to in his own life, it's like, man, I, yeah, it was a little virtual hug. Props to, <laughs> props to, props to Raven Gregory and Xenoscope. It was a friendly hug. It was a bro hug. It wasn't anything else. It, it, it wasn't. Don't a, call me. Okay. All right. All right. <laughs> <laughs> So, Tim, you've entered outside of Marvel and DC this week, too. I did. I did. Um, well, besides the uh, the required reading material from Professor Head, <laughs> um, uh, I read Pigs Number 1, which was an which was a Image Comics book. Um, and it was it, – it, I, I bought it thinking I was going to read about the Three Little Pigs. <laughs> that was a lot. So uh, – <laughs> Uh, this is this is written by Nate Cosby and Ben McCool, um, and it's telling a story about a uh, a splinter cell of Russians that were deposited because of the Bay of Pigs incident. The story is is that um, you know the like normal history the the Russians came over and they built you know they built they built missiles and they they helped Cuba. But apparently they sent a, um agricultural contingent that, according to all records, never left Cuba. So um, this, the, you know, the story goes into um, uh, the, the NYPD. It looks like has this has this woman um, in a lockup, and they're grilling her, trying to get information about this this Soviet splinter cell. And so I'm not I'm not going to ruin it for you, but it goes a little bit into the history of. Um, you know what happened to that splinter cell between you know 1962 and now, um, but you kind of have to make leaps in logic. So um, 
I, I, I enjoyed the book. I would, I didn't think I would because it isn't a superhero book. Um, and it definitely wasn't about Peter Porker, but, uh, uh, I, I think it's. I think it would be worth the read, especially if you are into, um, you know, more crime spy kind of kind of items. Not really ne- necessarily my genre, but I think worth a look. So that was Pigs One. Well, you know, uh, Ultimate Comics: The All New Spider-Man Number One also wasn't about Peter Porker. You know that it's would take, that I would I would start smoking the hippie lettuce if Peter Porker was on Ultimate Comics. Well, you know it's 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 hard out there on a spider pig, you know. <laughs> but uh, you know, issue number one, the much anticipated Ultimate Comic Ultimate Comics all new Spider Man featuring Miles Morales. Yep, Miles the Morales. Book I almost wasn't able to get. But you were able to find your poly-bagged copy of Ultimate Comics, All-New Spider-Man number one? Yep. By Bendis and Pacelli. So, what did you think, Aaron? I dug it. I dug I it did pretty too. hard. I, uh, you know, it opens up with uh, Norman Osborn, you know, uh, starting his project to figure out the spider power. So it's kind of a flashback piece and it's, it's giving you the origin of miles Morales. Um, are, is, <laughs> this is what I didn't understand because the guy who, you know, breaks into the lab looks an awful lot like Deadpool. You know, that's what I thought too. Looking at it, that costume yeah. looks very much like Deadpool's costume. But Ultimate Deadpool is not this character. Okay, and that's what I was wondering because I, I don't think I've seen much of Ultimate Deadpool. So um, the, the costume certainly is reminiscent of that. Um, I, I, you know, I really like this book. I like the fact that he's got two normal parents, you know, both of whom are concerned about the well-being of their child. So we're not having to see this big afflicted, you know, my parents don't love me or my, I'm an orphan or whatever kind of story. I hope they're not making us like the parents just so that they can kill them later on. <laughs> Which is very possible. <laughs> yeah. You know, what? one thing that bothered me was some of the far shots of the art. Looking at the kid, it looked like he was shorter in some panels than others. Yeah. Either way, he's very—he's a very young kid, and I know that this is almost a year before, you know, before Spider-Man's death and before his ap- first appearance as Spider-Man. Right. But he seems so small to be, you know, and to maybe, be in costume. And maybe the spider power is making bigger at some point. But you know, we've already seen one power that he's got that Peter didn't. Yeah, you know? I. I'm enjoying that. I mean, I know they said that not all the powers would be the same. Yeah. Seeing that he has some sort of chameleon power that makes him turn invisible. Yeah. A shrouding kind of power or something. That I think is going to be very handy for a Spider-Man. Yeah. Particularly a little spider guy like him, like himself. Now, I, there's the scene where he goes to see his uncle, who apparently is the guy who broke into the lab and you know his father has concerns with. There is a page... Wayne, where, you know, the the uncle sits down and talks to Miles. Did it look did he look a little bit like Snoop Dogg to you? (laughs) (laughs) I I could see that because he looks a little bit like, you know, hey, Miles is in the hizzle, you know, but uh, (laughs) 
So one thing I have to comment on about the book, just like the original origin of Ultimate Spider-Man, you know, the entire run of Ultimate Spider-Man, this is a very decompressed storytelling. Yes. We we just see him get his powers in the first issue. You know, we don't there's a lot of story, a lot of character in it, not a lot of, you know, actual action, not a lot of progressing the plot. Mm-hmm. I really dig that about the Ultimate Universe. Yeah. It gets frustrating sometimes because when you get into the big storylines after they have the costume, you want more to happen in an issue. Mm-hmm. But for the origin pieces, it's it's wonderful. Yeah. I the book is awfully pretty. Uh the I believe her name is Sarah Sarah Pacelli. Uh her artwork is just stunning. I I, I really enjoy the uh her take on the characters and you know there's not a lot of big superhero action in this book these are just people you know um you know the 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 biggest superhero action you see in the book is you know the break-in you know that uh his uncle does everything else is just you know character moments and uh miles turning invisible in part of the book but i I I like that one of the focuses was you know there's a new charter school yeah and that they're trying to they're trying to get their son into the school but there's it's not based on intelligence. It's not based on any criteria at all. It's Complete purely lottery. a lottery. Yeah. yeah. It's just luck. Yeah. No, I thought it was a strong performer. I, you know, when you get all the hype that we had around his character after the death of Ultimate Spider-Man, you know, you're a little concerned. Is it not going to live up to it? And, man, I thought they knocked this out of the park. I thought this was a super strong book or perhaps a spider strong book. Yeah. They I had, already it, at this point care about this character. This book had all the proportionate strength of a spider. Uh, I just, I, I really, I really dug it. And let's take a moment to talk about uh, the backup feature in this book, Wayne. You know, uh, I, I also will say, besides the proportionate strength of a spider, it had the proportionate invisibility of a spider at most stores. <laughs> nice. Um, in the back of the book, we continue with Marvel's September 11th memorial, and they're printing some of the the stories that they 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 put in those special graphic novels they did as a, a charity event ten years ago. Um, this one is a story called Moment of Truth by Bill Jemis, who did the story, and Mark Bagley did the pencils. There is no dialogue in the story at all. It just talks about this guy who worked at the World Trade Center. You know him going to the trade center, and it's got some beautiful pages of the of the renderings of uh, of that that building that that building complex, and then you know tells the story of just visually, mind you, tells the story of him responding to the crisis, helping get people out, and going back in with firefighters to you know address the crisis, and of course you know it ends with. Uh, on September 30th, Tony's body was recovered alongside those of several firefighters. They were found in a collapsed stairwell in the ruins of the towers. You know, it's, I thought it was very well done. I, I think I, this was not a story I had seen. I, I didn't pick up any of those uh, um, 9-11 graphic novels, but I, I was happy to see this in the book. Oh, I picked up – I had picked them up originally, and they are chilling at times. Mm-hmm. I mean I, – and I hate to make light of any of this, but on that first, you know, the first big spread there, mm-hmm. there's that statue out in front of the building. What the hell is that? When I first saw that, I looked at it. I didn't realize it was a statue. Mm-hmm. I'm thinking, is there a floating cat head with a helmet <laughs> on it and an invisible cat on this page? 
was like, I couldn't figure out what it was, and I'm yeah. staring at it. I'm staring at it, and then I see that oh, there's a base there. Yeah. Oh, that's some sort of statue. I still don't know what that's a statue of. Uh, me neither. It, it's it's art, Wayne. That's all you need to know. It's art. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, float, floating cat heads. What I thought at first. Yeah. Anyway, I I, I like the backup feature in the book. So, I thought Ultimate Comics All New Spider Man Number One Big Book liked it liked it a lot. A book or books, I should say, that uh, other people have liked a great deal because they have sold out The Infinite Number 1 and The Infinite Number 2 by Rob Liefeld and Robert Kirkman. This was the aforementioned assigned reading for Wayne and Tim this week. Guys, what'd you think? I thought it was 1992. <laughs> in a good way or a bad way? Yeah, in a good way. When I started looking at it, I thought, there's no way I'm going to like this. You know, I'm looking at the art on it, and the the art is it's all beautiful, but it's very '90s. I mean, it these character designs are, you know, early image character designs, appearance wise. I thought, you know, this was just going to be another one of those, you know, heavy gun issues, like the, you know, big big muscle muscular men shooting other big muscular men, like we saw back in the night. I mean, I like '90s comics, but you know, they've They've kind of moved on from that. Mm-hmm. So I was surprised by just how much I enjoyed, you know, enjoyed the book. Well, Professor Head, I think it could be summed up in one word. Crap. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, Paul Aponte has ruined Rob Liefeld art for me for, for awesome. all time. He's like, look at their faces. It's the same dude. Every dude is the same dude. And not just the dude that's the older version of himself. Every dude is the same dude. Every all of them have little ankles and tiny feet. Yeah, they all look the same. Oh yeah, it, this is I'm very like, much Rob you know Liefeld art. You know what, Paul? I didn't notice that before. You're absolutely right. It's just like when Jake Egas told me that every every uh, every gate is a Stargate. I'm like, oh, that ruins every kind of device like that I ever see now. Thanks, Jake. <laughs> so after Paul has ruined Rob Liefeld art for me, and the fact that it involves time travel, which I don't really like as a storytelling device. And it's all about shooting people. I decided that this was probably the worst reading assignment I've had since I was back in high school and had and had to read the uh, the crucible so um i wouldn't I wouldn't read it for free, which I did <laughs> apparently you would <laughs> well I, I won't I, read it for free again I think it's I won't read sad. it for free again which, so yeah, did so. you read both issues then yep. <laughs> You know, you could have stopped at one and said, I just really didn't like it, so I didn't continue. I was told to, and I wanted to be able to give this, you know, I wanted to be able to give the same consistent opinion that you guys did, because I knew you guys were going to read both. Yeah, no, don't do it. There you go. (laughs) That's my review. Sorry about the Image Comics. I liked one of your books this week. This one, uh, this one you could throw down the driver's disposal. All right, Aaron, you're the tie-breaking vote. I hated this thing with everything I had. I, you know, I, I, I'm not sure. The script wasn't compelling for one. Um, and I don't know if, you know, Mr. Kirkman is working on too many things all at one time, but I just couldn't find anything interesting about the story for one. Okay. Um, two, and this is my big issue. I couldn't stand the art. Um, Rob Liefeld's clearly a talented man, but I don't think his his artwork has grown 
since the 90s. Just like you said, Wayne, I mean, it, this looks like 1992 uh, Image Comics. Yeah. Um, what I really hate about the book is that Liefeld doesn't own the space on the panel. Um, it is all figure drawings, and there's not a lot of setting behind them. And I'll, I'll draw your attention to the page where they're all driving in the car. And you've got, you know, the old version of the character and the young version of the character and then the buddy in the back seat. They don't look like they're in a car. They look like they're sitting on the couch. There is no sense of of uh, confinement there. And, you know, we've seen how big these guys are. I, it would have been nice to see, you know, a sense of the space. And there's none there. If you go to the page before that, you've got uh, the girlfriend stomping off. And she doesn't look like she's walking. She looks like she's marching. You and know, my, my biggest complaint about that scene, besides the I completely agree, she doesn't look like she's stomping off, was we never saw why she was stomping off. Yeah. They just, you know, he apparently was rude to her and sent her away. They never told that in the story. Yeah. They, you know, we just talked about all this decompressed storytelling and Ultimate Comics, Spider-Man. We're seeing the opposite of that here. I would have... I actually like I said I got into this story. I do like time travel stories. I like the one they're trying to tell. I personally wish that that first issue would have been spread out over at least two to three issues. Yeah. Well, maybe not the first issue because the second issue was more interesting to me. I liked a lot more of the the storytelling in the past. Mm-hmm. You know, I like the you know his interaction with the girl that would eventually become. You know, his potentially his wife, if his future self doesn't screw it up. Right. You know, I like their interaction with each other. I like her storming off, though I wish we could have seen why. I like his interaction with his future self. And I wish that that would have been the focus instead of rushing to a battle so quickly. Yeah. The the story, the pacing is way off for me. I want I like the story. I'd like to see it stretched out and properly told. Well, and that one was, of the that was so hokey though. That whole scene with the younger version and the, and the woman they're like, I don't usually do one night stands. He's like, I usually don't do one night stands where I stick around. Oh yeah. But they're all going to fall in love together. Really? Yeah. Give me a fucking break. Yeah. You know, and that's my problem. I like that conversation, but it was so compressed down that it's not believable. If that conversation took like 3 or 4 pages, you could believably see a relationship grow out of that conversation. What we actually saw, though, you can't. And that's why, I mean, I saw so much potential there that if this would have been spread out instead of the 90s rush to the story, it could have been so much more than it was. One of the things that I dislike about this book is that, you know, it's Rob Lelf, not Rob, Rob Kirkman's, Robert Kirkman's attempt at a science fiction book. You know, he had said, you know, I really want to do a science fiction book. And the I, I really strongly dislike the design of the future armor and the future tech um, because it looks too superheroish. You know, it, the, the it skin, looks all 90s. Yeah, well, and it's all skin type body. So it looks like Stormwatch. It looks like uh, uh, Wildcats, you know. Yeah, I mean, it looks like all of that. And. 
what I would like to see is, you know, guys walking around in his science fiction armor. I wish it was a little bulkier. I wish you that know, it, it didn't I look like he was wearing spandex. I don't for a second believe that Kirkman had anything to do with the design of these characters. Oh, I'm sure he didn't. I'm sure this was didn't. pure Liefeld beginning to yeah. end. I mean, those are Stormwatch looking characters. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And, you know, the you, you see the characters walking and it's not just the, the, the lady who stomps off where there doesn't seem to be any weight on her feet. It's the same thing with these guys walking down the hallway. It's like they're walking on their tippy toes. I, I just I, I really cannot abide the Liefeld art, and uh, you you throw this up against what he was doing, you know, twenty years ago, and it it doesn't show much progression. You know, you you're not seeing a great deal of improvement over what he was drawing before. Yeah, so basically, I like I said I enjoyed it. I think it could have been so much better than it was, and I didn't enjoy it enough to to regularly buy this title. Well, I, I feel bad because. I assigned you, I assigned issues one and two to you guys, and I didn't read issue two because I thought <laughs> issue, I thought issue one sucked <laughs> so hard. <laughs> oh, issue two was so much better than issue one. Really? No, yeah, it wasn't. Because issue two doesn't deal with any of this any of the stuff actually in the future. <laughs> so it's modern day. Here's a guy with a mohawk, Aaron. He's bigger and more muscular <laughs> than everybody else, but he has oh, a no. soft, kinder side because he has a daughter. God damn. Oh, all the art stuff is going to be, you know, it's still going to be the same horrible stuff. And every character looks like they could have easily fit into Stormwatch. Yeah. I won't be picking up Infinite again. I just, ugh, it was awful. Yeah. It was awful. And I hate to say that because, I, you know, while I could, I really don't much care for Rob Liefeld. I didn't care for his artwork back in the 90s. I don't care for it now. Um, but I really like Robert Kirkman, and so it hurts me to say that I don't like one of his books, and I strongly dislike this book. So you know, and so you assign that reading, Aaron. I'm going to assign you Little Women. Read that fucking book. <laughs> oh, I will do it. Yeah, I will. So, pick- so will I. Yeah, just like you did. I-, <laughs> <laughs> I will pick up the Classics Illustrated version of Little Women, and I will have my report back to you. Or you can read the illustrated uh, William and Kate book. There you go. Why do you got to be that way? Well, <laughs> you know, I like I like this concept though of the the assigned reading. Uh-huh. Although I don't think that it should be one person assigning every week. I think what we should do going forward, we should all look at the books that are going to come out, and we have some preview copies of things and things like that. One of a different one of us each week should pick the assigned reading for the next week. And then we we discuss one book that we wouldn't have normally read otherwise. Maybe we all hate it. Maybe we all like it. Maybe some hate and some like. But we all suffer together. I feel like this train's going off the rails here. This, yeah, this doesn't <laughs> sound like a healthy relationship. <laughs> yeah. I'll okay. pick a book for us all to read next week. Oh, and then, like Aaron, I won't read it. <laughs> yeah, I read uh, the book one. I, just, I read 50% of the assignment. Well, then you get, you get an F. But <laughs> – I should get additional credit for the fact that I fessed up to it. Because you guys hadn't asked about number two. Well, we're not going to expel you, but you still get an F. Unless that sound That's not right. <laughs> Neither was reading issue one and two in the infinite. Man, that wasn't right either. That was harsh. So, Wayne, what are you assigning for next week? Um, I'm going to assign Planet of the Apes, because even though you and I oh, would already read God it, damn. I, would, I want Tim and Paul to read it. The assignment oh. is in. Man, fuck that book. Uh, I'm going to have to boldly go where nobody should go before. 
you know, if if you don't read it, Tim, we have to put your name on the board, and you don't want. That. Oh, what are you gonna do? You're gonna make me. You're gonna give me banana billing at the bottom of the <laughs> list, people. Huh? Huh? Tim, well, I can put your name on that board, anyways. and if I have to, I'll put a check next to your name. I don't think but, you want that. But think about it, Tim. That means next week you get to assign a book. That's right. <sighs> it's going to be William and Kate, motherfuckers. Yeah. <laughs> I got you playing the fucking hams. Well, we, we We're all going to be reaching, reading Archie comics. Yeah, well, you know, when it comes around to Paul, it'll be Richie Rich and the poor little rich kid. Well, I mean, that's not even a stretch for Paul. That's but what he gets normally. But I think I think it's going to be the new Fifty Two version of Richie Rich, you know, in which uh, you know Richie Rich is also the the son of Ross Al Ghul, uh, you know. And he's not a he's a hot chick. That's right. Well, <laughs> I'm more interested now. Well, surprise, our surprise. our listeners have some assigned listening. Uh, Star Trek Aegean, our uh, new Ideology of Madness actual play, released this prior uh, Friday. And uh, it's out there. Our Sandbox episode is out there for you to listen to. So go out and listen to that. And this coming Friday is Knights of Rainsboro issue number eight. Issue eight. That that must have been that, – that reminds me of my Red Lantern book because I think I made me angry. <laughs> <laughs> You know, I wonder if Spoiler. Tim and I both did the same thing. The moment you said issue eight, I'm trying to remember what which session was eight again. It's it's the one in which uh, you know uh, safety in the bathroom becomes an issue uh-huh. for one of our heroes. So issue eight, Paul's a noob. That should be the title. <laughs> yes. yes, there are so many wonderful things that happen in that issue. But we're and not going to tell you. Paul does all of it. <laughs> we're not going to tell you. You just have to listen and find out. That's right. But listen to Star Trek GN first. That's right. And then uh, Paul's got some Halloween crap coming up on the website. Yeah, and that's about basically all we know. Yeah. So it, you know, stay tuned for that. I'm sure he's going. <laughs> I'm sure he's going to review his uh, his trip to Orlando. Yeah, blah blah blah. That's mm-hmm. right. right. Someone's got to read that stuff, and that will not be a side reading for any of us. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Fucking Paul. No, but you know, the man has a passion for it. I'll give him that. So uh, next week we should have uh, Paul back on the show. Oh, yeah. so uh, let's let's talk about uh, let's talk about what's coming on in the fifty-two at least. Oh yeah. Let's do so, that. Uh, oh, I gotta pull. Up my, I gotta pull up uh, the site. So I took a look through this list because my comic book guy is like, because he's like, well, which ones should I, you know, put aside for you? And I'm like, well, you could probably put Green Lantern Corps aside, and I'm getting Wonder Woman, and maybe Blue Beetle, and Red Hood and the Outlaws will at least get a flip through if I get there in time. Well, looking at next week, um, Supergirl number one is on my hold, so I know I'll be getting that. Green Lantern Corp is on the hold for number one. Everything else, I'm pretty sure will end up being sold out by the time I get there. (laughs) You know, I thought I had asked for all the first of the Batman books, but I guess I didn't because I didn't get Batman and Robin. But so maybe I'll have Batman number one waiting too. Um, Wonder Woman number one, I plan on picking up if it's there, just because I really enjoyed this last run of Wonder Woman. I've picked up a couple Wonder Woman trades from the library and read through, and I'm curious what they're going to do with it even though i hate that cover art so i'm going to give it a chance um 
I would probably give Red Hood and the Outlaws a chance because a friend of mine said that he'd actually pay for it if I didn't like it because he wants to read the first issue. Oh, see, it's so a, there's it's no nice reason not to. Yeah, exactly. Well, I'm going to be going for Batman number one, Birds of Prey number one, Blue Beetle number one, uh-huh. Green Lantern Corps number one, Nightwing number one, which I'm very excited about. You know, I'm probably going to get that one, too, because the other thing I picked up from the library was a Nightwing trade, mm-hmm. and I enjoyed it very much. So I'm interested in seeing what the character is going to do now. Supergirl number one and Wonder Woman number one. And don't forget, so excited, the new Teen Titans games original graphic novel by Marv Wolfman and George Perez. 30 years in the making, 20 years in the making, uh, comes out this week. So I'll be picking that up as well. So this important note to self, do not send the wife to the comic shop this week because she will <laughs> blow a gasket. Because <laughs> yikes. Yeah. So I'm so, going to go start we, paper route. <laughs> yeah. So we're going to get Paul next week. That's that's the idea, you know. We 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 didn't get Paul this week because you know, hey, I got to go pick my wife up from the airport, and I'm like, dude, can't she take a cab? Can't she hitchhike home? What the can't hell? Can't she wait two hours? Yeah, uh, w- w- priorities. Come on. Yeah. So you, you know, Aaron, DC is not the only one that has a number one next week. Ultimate Comics X Men number one comes out too, and I think I'm going to pick it up because I've been so jazzed about the other Ultimate books. And I, I tell you, I have never been interested in the uh, Ultimate X-Men books. I've but, got the complete run of them. I, you know, I have read, you know, checked out from the library, I, I have read, you know, uh, books in that series, but it, it didn't jazz me. But I, I, I think I'm going to pick it up this week. Okay. Yeah. Oh, yeah, and we're, we're all reading Planet of the Apes. Yay. Yeah. Yeah. Ape talk. That's right. Yeah. Fantastic. We're going to talk about a monkey book. Monkey. Well, on that note, I'm going to go slip my wrist in the bathtub. Bananas for everyone. You can't we'll do that until you're dead reading, Tim. We'll talk to you guys next week, maybe. Uh, Tim, you are not excused. Fuck. <laughs> <laughs> you guys have a good week. See ya. Podcast theme music graciously provided by Mark Andrew Pope. For more information, visit markandrewpope.com. Funny Books with Aaron and Polly is a production of ideologyofmadness.com. No Spider-Man clones were harmed in the production of this podcast. Mm-hmm.